I feel bad sometimes that I ever did it. That's what John Sylvan told The Atlantic in an interview. John Sylvan is the creator of the Keurig coffee machine and the K-Cups. Now, he had good intentions. He, he thought that his machine would just be used in offices so different workers could get the kind of coffee that they wanted. But it went beyond that so that now there is a Keurig in one out of three homes in America. So what does John regret? That the K-Cups are bad for the environment. They are disposable and not recyclable. And if all the K-Cups that were sold in 2014 were laid end to end, it would be enough to circle the earth more than 10 times. I don't know who figures this stuff out. but So I think John feels like he created a monster, but since he sold the company in 1997 for $50,000, there's nothing he could do about it. He couldn't foresee what his invention would become. Now, this morning, I do not want to say, along with John Sylvan, that I feel bad sometimes that I ever did it. I don't want to feel bad about all the things we talked about last week concerning persecution because we did not return this week to this last beatitude to get the full counsel of the Word of God. And so there could be a monster in the making, but we can do something about it. We can return to the Word of the Lord this morning to make sure that we as individuals are being persecuted for the right reasons and not for reasons we bring upon ourselves. And so here's a question for you. Why should you always carry an umbrella when a Christian is around? Answer, because they always rain on your parade. If we're persecuted because we're like dark rain clouds, instead of light-filled, spirit-filled, love-filled believers, it doesn't count. I knew a Christian family once that displayed a banner on their home. Don't bother to ring the bell, exclamation point. We, capital W-E, don't celebrate Halloween. Now, What do you think the results of hanging a banner like that are going to be? Yeah, that's right. And as that family was cleaning up the egg and the toilet paper on their house, they probably thought they were being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, don't get hung up on your view of Halloween. That's not the point. A lot of believers use it as an opportunity to engage their community with the gospel. The point is that banner was just ugly and demeaning. So listen, when persecution comes into our lives, it must be for the right reason. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return this week to the very last beatitude. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn once again to Matthew chapter 5. And when you have found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read probably for the last time. These Beatitudes of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the living God. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We do love it. We love you for giving it to us. Because of it, Lord, we know how our lives work best. And how to order them rightly. And the kind of people we ought to be. All that, Lord. Because you give us your word. So we come before it humbly this morning. Thankful for your spirit. Praying that you would give us wisdom and understanding. And bring transformation to our lives. Through your word. By the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I do want to review quickly, so many of you weren't here last week, but we did note that Jesus does not say here in this beatitude, if you are persecuted. He very intentionally says here, when you are persecuted, and so the very plain meaning, the plain understanding of Jesus' words lets us know that persecution is a certainty in the life of a believer in Christ. Check out the insert in your bulletin, This not right now, but take it home and, and, and read, and you'll see that it's a reality in our world. Secondly, we talked about why it is that persecution comes. Persecution is a result of, of a clash. It's a, it's a collision between two different kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, over which the prince of the power of the air, i.e. Satan, has influence. These two kingdoms cannot coexist. Where one is, the other cannot be. And conflict occurs because the goals and the objectives of the two kingdoms are at polar opposites. Scripture tells us that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit and truth. That's the kingdom of God. On the other hand, the kingdom of darkness, according to Jesus, is one of lies because its ruler, as Jesus describes him, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, two drastically different kingdoms. And when these two kingdoms collide, which they will certainly do, in your life, in my life, there's going to be some damage, some dents, some bangs, persecution. This week, we need to talk about the reason for that persecution. And the first thing I want us to do is notice that the reason for persecution is very personal. Very personal. If you glance back through all the Beatitudes 
through which we have made our way. You'll see that each one of them uses the third person, plural, and speaks in groups. The meek, they shall inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. The merciful, they shall receive mercy. The pure in heart, they shall see God. The peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. And on and on it goes. In each of the first Beatitudes, Jesus uses the third person. But now look with me in verse 11 at this Beatitude. Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, why do you think it is that Jesus switches from the third person and all the other Beatitudes to this repetitive second person, you, 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 in this one? Is it to emphasize just how personal persecution will be? Talking to you instead of they? Is Jesus here calling you and me to to step forward, to step up? To, to step out? Can it be that you and I are to understand here that there's no hiding in the crowd, in the group, in the pack, that safety in numbers is not going to work for us this time, that you and I are noticed individually and called individually to come face to face with persecution Perhaps these are the reasons, given the reason that Jesus offers here for persecution. Look again in the verse. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the cause of righteousness, on account of righteousness. And so righteousness in our lives is a very personal thing. An entire sermon could be preached just on righteousness. Entire books, and some of them very long, are written just about righteousness. I'm going to try to keep it simple this morning and and just say this. That righteousness here refers to the act of doing what God requires. Righteousness is the act of doing what God requires. It's the quality or characteristic of upright behavior. Okay, Doing what God requires which of necessity means that our behavior is upright. So righteous is who you are when you live rightly before God and do what he requires. Now, the only person who ever lived a perfectly righteous life, as we know, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the Apostle John refers to him in his first letter as Jesus Christ the righteous one. Therefore, multiple ways do not exist for being right or righteous. Can I say that again? Multiple ways do not exist, cannot exist for being right or righteous. Only one way exists, and that is the way of Jesus. That's why you and I, We need to spend our lifetimes asking the Spirit of God to give us insight into the person of Jesus Christ as he is revealed to us in his word. 
Only in that way will you and I know what righteous, right living truly is. Because Jesus got it right. Perfectly so. Here's the good news for us. We're in the process of being made righteous. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5 that by one man's obedience, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, that many will be made righteous. You and I were part of that many. We're in the process of being made righteous by Jesus. The letter written to the Hebrews gives us hope that the work that Jesus is doing right now in us will be effective. The author writes in Hebrews 12, You have come to God, which is an amazing concept, the judge of all to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It's going to work. Is that good news? One day we'll be perfectly righteous. But right now, righteously is how people live. It's how you live. And I live because we've been made right with God. It's how we live because we stand before God as forgiven sinners. And we're forgiven sinners because God is so good and loving and merciful. We're forgiven sinners because Jesus is so good and loving and merciful that he gave his life so that you and I might become this very thing righteous. The righteous person desires to do all they can do, all you can do, to be all in for the cause of Christ. And for that, we will be persecuted. Persecution comes to you and me because of our character, because of who we are in Christ. And it's a character that you cannot hide. The righteous will shine. Now listen, people. This is the one that we've got to get a hold of. We aren't talking here about hidden, secretive righteousness. We're talking about a righteousness in our lives that's out there for everyone to see. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Try to hide that. Which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You can't hide righteousness. It's so helpful when God gives us pictures of spiritual realities, illustrations that help us grasp these deep spiritual truths. And he gives us one in the person of Moses. And you know this story. Whenever Moses was in the presence of the Lord, God describes it meeting Moses face to face in the tent of meeting. Moses' face literally, literally, it glowed. It radiated from being in the presence of a perfectly holy, perfectly righteous God. That really happened. And so the Apostle Paul picks up on that reality in 2 Corinthians 3. And he says that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone, his face shone with the glory of God. And then Paul makes a comparison to what was true for Moses and what is true for us by posing this question. Will not the ministry of the Spirit, our reality, have even more glory? 
For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation during Moses' day, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. we got to be shinier than Moses. Paul goes on to say, at the end of that chapter, that we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You can't hide righteousness. One more, Ephesians chapter 2. He writes that, that the righteous will shine in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation as lights in the universe. You cannot hide righteousness. A life that's lived rightly before God and others. And neither should we want to hide it. Skip ahead just a few verses of Matthew 5. Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine. So here's the thing. If we have it in our minds that we will try to hide our righteousness, the Christ life within us, which I've observed in my relatively short lifetime, that we are more prone to do in our culture of tolerance and acceptance. If we think we're only going to let our righteousness out in safe places like here, among other believers or community group, or when we're out with our Christian friends, we're wrong. We're wrong in our thinking. A righteous life will always shine, and that's why you and I will be persecuted. And so we need to be clear on this. If you have hungered and thirsted after righteousness, that earlier, earlier beatitude that we studied, and if you've received the promise that goes along with it that you shall be filled with righteousness, then more and more your life looks like Christ, and more and more your life should shine. And when we're more and more like Christ, those people who do not live according to His beautiful selfless standards, but opt instead for a life of sin or selfishness or self-centeredness, they're going to feel condemned or judged by our lives. Or when you no longer live as you used to live, the people with whom you lived the way you used to live are going to feel judged by you because you no longer participate in the activities that once you did. 1 Peter chapter 4, this is the New Living Translation. Peter writes this, and he's a guy who understood persecution. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. It's very simple. Being righteous is being like Christ. Again in verse 11, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all evil against you because of me. When we strive to live like he lived, 
then we are being righteous. And when from the depth of our being, from the depth of our being, we want to conform our lives to the will of God and daily seek to be more and more like Christ and to live like Jesus lived, we are going to be persecuted for that. That's the righteousness to which Jesus calls us here. and It's the kind of living that people will react to. Let me give you a couple of examples from Scripture. It's when Jesus gathered people around him. And when Jesus taught them the truth of God. And, and when out of the depths of compassion, Jesus healed those who were sick and suffering. When Jesus was doing those things, that's when the religious leaders wanted to kill him. Jesus said to that man with a withered hand, he said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand and Jesus healed it completely. And it's for that act of compassion that they wanted to put Jesus to death. When Jesus saw the man who had been an invalid for 38 years, Lying on his mat, Jesus went up to that man and he said, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately, that man was made well and he took up his bed and he walked. And it was for this that Jesus was persecuted. For this they sought to take his life. I give you these examples. So that we understand that it's not just for bold or brash, or daring proclamation of the truth that we might suffer for being like Christ. Persecution could come to you when you are moved by compassion to do good and to help others. In that we're being like Jesus, and in that we'll be persecuted. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Apostle Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So you see, over and over, it's for the name of Christ. And for being like him, that persecution will come. It's for being different. Jesus was persecuted because he was different. Different from the religious people of his day when when Jesus taught, people were amazed. They said, we've never heard anything like this before. Jesus was different. As we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say over and over, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus was different. And it was for being different that Jesus was persecuted. 
It was because side by side with Jesus and his righteousness, the righteousness of everyone else looked tawdry and selfish and cheap. Can I give you another example? May I? Cain and Abel. Very beginning of human history. What did Abel ever do to Cain? Nothing. He didn't cheat him. He didn't beat him. He didn't scold him or belittle him or reject him in any way. All Abel ever did was bring his best to the Lord and give it to the Lord as a sacrifice. And the Lord accepted it. But Cain could tell that Abel, his brother, was different. His sacrifice was different. Because it came from his heart, and for that God accepted him, and and Cain couldn't stand it. And so he persecuted Abel to the fullest extent. He took his brother's life. When the silent witness of your faith, when your authentic love for Christ and for people comes through in your life, when your joy comes through, others who don't have those realities in their lives will feel condemned by yours. Time for a John Calvin quote. I need to start ringing a bell. John Calvin. Ding, ding. John Calvin. Above all, it is, as we say, the ordinary lot, the ordinary lot of Christians to be hated by the majority of men, for the flesh cannot endure the doctrine of the gospel. None can endure to have their vices reproved. See, the word of God It's the plumb line for the world. The word of God and truth of it, it's the standard by which we measure all things in our lives and in the world. So take away the word of God and take away the Christians who cling to and proclaim the word of God, then the plumb line is gone. Poof, it disappears. And then guess what? Everyone gets to do what is right in their own eyes. But hold that plumb line up and it exposes crookedness every time. And so antagonism is unavoidable. And antagonism leads to persecution. I don't know what that's going to look like in your life or mine. I don't know the source of it. Could be from a friend, a family member, or a total stranger. But as you seek to live a righteous life for Christ... It will come. A shining life of righteousness is the very personal reason that you will be persecuted. The shining life of righteousness is the very personal reason that you and I will be persecuted. Are you ready for some good news? Are you? After two weeks of this, I'm ready for some good news. So let's move on to the good news. The persecution that's a reality, it comes with a blessing. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now notice this. The very first beatitude and the very last beatitude carry the exact same blessing. 
And so the first and the last, they serve as bookends that allow us to know that everything in between, all these beatitudes that we have studied, work together for blessing. And when each of the characteristics of each of these beatitudes is present in each of our lives, then blessing is ours. Flourishing is ours. And this blessing must be the ultimate one. It is the kingdom of heaven, and it's ours. This blessing is the eternal one. And it has blessing for us now on earth. A kingdom life here on earth is a good life, but it's eternal as well. Each beatitude is going to find its ultimate fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven. The very thing that Jesus promised. Watch this. In heaven, there will be no more poverty of spirit, like the first beatitude. Because we will be rich beyond our wildest imaginations with the good things of God. We'll be co-heirs with Christ. Is that good news? In heaven, there'll be no more mourning or the comfort that comes with it. Because all mourning and all sorrow and all sadness will have passed away. And every tear will have been wiped away from every eye in the kingdom of heaven. Is that good news? There'll be no more hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because we'll be drinking from the river of life. And the thirst will be gone. Is that good news? We will feast in the house of Zion at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and we will be completely satisfied. Can you imagine being completely satisfied? Is that good news? The need for mercy will have come to an end. We will have experienced it perfectly, and there'll no longer be a need to extend it to others, for heaven will be a place without sin, without any brokenness of any kind. Is that good news? We'll be pure in heart. We will see God finally, like Moses, face to face. And our attention will be completely undivided. Because what we see, when we behold the glorified Lord, it will transfix us. We will be in awe and wonder forever and ever. We won't want our heart to go anywhere else. Is that good news? There'll be no need to make peace because we will know peace perfectly in the presence of Christ. And all of this because the kingdom of heaven is ours. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So let's not fear persecution. And let's not be afraid. Let's not, let's not be afraid to let our righteousness shine. Let's not flee persecution, but trust that the Lord will meet us there. What happened to the three in the fiery furnace? You know, we read it this morning. They were joined by the fourth, by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate himself. What happened to Stephen when the rocks were flying and his life was ebbing away because of his faith in Christ? Heaven opened. And see, Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When Paul was in prison, bruised and bleeding from the beating he received, what did he do? He filled 
his prison cell with songs of praise. When the disciples went on their way, after they were arrested and beating for preaching Christ, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy of suffering for Christ. Whatever form persecution comes, in your life and mine, trust that the Lord will meet you there. Trust that the Lord will meet you there. I know that if we live for Christ and like Christ, persecution will come. I know equally well that Jesus is always with us, assuring us that the kingdom of heaven is ours, and we will someday be with him forever and ever. Don't you think that makes living a righteous life worth it? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. Once again, we acknowledge in our human spirits that these are difficult words to hear. Difficult for people who spend so much of our time trying to preserve and protect our lives. So it's hard to hear, Lord, to just let go and trust you. But I pray that you will give us the grace and the courage to do just that. To believe that you're always with us. We thank you for the example of Scripture. Lord, those three in the fiery furnace, and you were there with them. Bring that picture to our minds, Lord, so that we with boldness and without fear will let our righteousness, the righteousness that you work in us and through us through your spirit and your word, that we'll just be okay to let that shine, Lord, and trust you with the consequences. Because, Lord, we know it's coming. Your kingdom forever and ever. We will feast in the house of Zion. What good news. How we long for that day. Bless us. Sustain us. Until then, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.